Hi, everyone, and welcome to the third episode of Advocacy, Passion and Beyond, Voices from the SI Leader Lab, a podcast brought to you by Feminism in India in collaboration with the Swedish Institute. I'm your host, Jafreen Pasricha, and today we are talking about surviving from passion, creating resilience and healthy sustainability. And with me, I have two guests as usual. First, let me introduce Sonal Dhanani from Pakistan. Sonal works as a trainer, creative professional and a therapy practitioner in Pakistan. She grew up in Karachi and received her master's degree in marketing at the Ikra University but, and thought that she would spend her career as a marketer, but only to discover after an internship that it wasn't her calling and that she was interested in making a tangible impact in her country. Hi Sonal, how are you feeling today? And thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Jasmine. And uh, you have asked a very interesting question. That's usually the first question I ask in my therapy session. And um, I feel present in this moment and I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Learning from you, Sonal. <laughs> and um, I also want to introduce our second guest, uh, Nesma Mansoor from Yemen. Nesma works as the Communication Advocacy Officer at uh, Peace Track Initiative where they aim to create a space for missing voices and contributions of women, youth and civil society organizations at the peace and political processes. They also work under the methodology of feminist peace building. Hi and welcome Nesma, how are you feeling today? Hi Jacqueline, thank you so much. I'm feeling quite well and very looking forward for us to have this conversation and very happy to be here with you. Thank you so much, Nesma. And now, Sonal, I would like to begin with you. Uh, you, you know, as uh, introduced, uh, like as mentioned in your introduction, you uh, trained to become a marketeer, but then completely changed and, and now work in the mental health space. So I want to know what was the motivation uh, behind this change? So like, you know, um, I always say that marketing also had a touch of being creative so creativity remained to be the core of it and uh, even now in the mental health space largely my tool is like you know using art for the therapy purposes so the creativity was there but I wasn't happy I was looking for something and I wasn't sure that I will end up uh, in the space of mental health and how I will end up intersecting mental health for countering violent extremism in Pakistan but then, uh, unfortunately, I come from a minority, religious minority in Pakistan, but I have never experienced any, uh, like, you know, any terrorist attack in my community. But back in 2015, I happened to experience one in which I lost my very dearest uh, younger brother. And that was the first experience where I got to see the 47 coffins together in my life. I saw people in a very different suffering. And in that moment, I realized that the, how a stable individual is very important. Because the person, the mastermind behind the entire attack uh, was a graduate of one of the finest universities of the country. And that brought so many questions to me. That why are someone who is educated, someone who is exposed, someone who is among the people would do something like this? Like, you know, this person is not someone who is not into institutions, someone who is not, who doesn't have cross-culture, ethnic or religious exposure, who's not meeting people, why he would be 
uh, why it was so easy to mobilize a person like this. And eventually I came to the conclusion that every, every violent uh, act in Pakistan was concluded by giving remarks that the person was struggling with something related to the mental health. Then I found out that these spaces in Pakistan to channelize your emotion are absolutely zero. There are no spaces where people can go to express their anger, to express their emotion, to channelize their energies in a positive way. And that's when I wanted to find like, you know, if therapy is so expensive and there are so many taboos attached to discussion of mental health and families, then what can we do? What are the soft approaches which can be brought to the larger communities, which are easy, acceptable to the people? So we came up with the, um, the tools like art therapy, music therapy, play therapy, cinema therapy, dance therapy, and I started my own organization called Farinde, which, uh, which is a Urdu word for birds. The larger idea of picking word Farinde birds for the organization name was the, the concept of freedom, of coming out of a cage. And, and when you are emotionally unstable, it's such a case, I'm sure so many people who struggle through anxiety, depression, or any sort of emotional instability can relate to it. So that, that's how this shift came. And that's how I ended up from being a, a fresh marketeer to the field of uh, mental health practitioner. I still call myself a practitioner because this is such a field where you can never be expert. And uh, now I just integrate different tools and I still feel that people, uh, people like you know, would like to uh, create a balance in consuming and creating. And in any field, if you see, uh, especially COVID has told us that a stable individual is important. Be it in the field of corporate, be it finance, be it medicine, any, 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 any field. So you really need to intersect mental health at the larger level in the society. So I feel that in uh, like you know, mental health tools emotional stability tools, our social stability tools are very important. And uh, yeah, that's about it. Thank you, Sonal. Thank you so much. And I first would like to really acknowledge your, uh, and I'm, I'm so sorry to hear about your brother. I know that uh, I've heard this story before. You have told me when we met uh, in Stockholm. And, uh, you know, even then I was in awe of you. And even today I am. I can't say this enough, but I am so proud of you. And I also want to thank you for sharing this with us today, not just with uh, the three of us, but with the world uh, who would be listening to this podcast uh, to, you know, creating that space of uh, courage and kindness. So uh, thank you so much, Sonal, for that. And uh, speaking of mental health, Nesma, my next question is for you. How do you think uh, mental health is uh, connected with peace building? And especially since we talked about terrorism, uh, you know, Sonal talked about that. I want to understand especially how does uh, mental health is connected with feminist peace building? Uh, thank you so much, Jacqueline, for this important question, because um, people have just recently realized the importance of mental health because as 
women peace builders or women who work in this field, uh, we have became very engaged in serving our communities and we forgot to like to think of ourselves. So basically what happens is that we we were in a constant state of burnout. I would say me, my colleagues, everyone whom I knew. So Uh, for us as an organization at Peace Track Initiative, we took it on ourselves. We started with the team it themselves, like me. We went to therapy. We had the conversations of how we can become uh, an organizations that organization that sponsors uh, good mental health practices, giving people spaces when they need, uh, giving them the opportunities to express how do they feel. They do not have to mask it. They do not have to uh, pretend that they are doing okay when they are not. And this actually helps a lot our work at the end because we better serve our community when we are taking care of ourselves. Um, Also, when we talk about peace, we cannot continue saying that we advocate for peace and sometimes deep inside of us, we have so much hatred and so much um, uh, resentment to the other party. So taking care of your mental health also helps you find find your inner peace and help you uh, serve your society way way much better we have also took took these practices to our partners to the women we work with and uh, honestly like the feminist peace um, movement uh, have 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 been connected way beyond way beyond just work because we were connected on the level of everyone feels the suffers of the others no one feels isolated because when you are struggling with mental health you can easily feel isolated and i personally have connected with women who have a like uh, they were my colleagues they were uh, women i worked with but there were there were not much sentiment towards them however after doing group therapy and group meditation sessions and awareness sessions i have i would say that i this i have admired these women and their resilience also on a personal level so i hope i hope i kind of like resumed how it helps but it it is really important when it comes to you know feminist work and especially with the intersectional work feminist peace building so thank you yes uh, Nesma thank you for that and I completely agree and actually I'm uh, really happy that today mental health is a topic that is gaining a lot of momentum in uh, the social and development sector and in peace building initiatives because we have ignored it for so long uh, that you know it has really come to a uh, boiling point now and uh, Sonal I would like to ask you next uh, you mentioned that uh, for you art therapy is something that is really important so could you walk us through how you use uh, creative therapies and art and culture as a tool for healing and activism so I have I have noticed that there was a great when I started my work there was so much resistance among people to talk about mental health because of the taboo attached to it of course and for people to open up so 
and of course when people invest like you know in studying about mental health related fields so then the therapy when they come as a counselor or when they come as a clinical psychologist or any other position so the amount they charge becomes very expensive so then i started observing that the therapy is actually present everywhere around us people just need to know that tools to process it and people just need to bring it there then i started use like i did my own diploma in art therapy and then i started using art therapy art as a tool for therapy and so many other things so then i use it for the purpose of my peace building program and peace building and trauma informed programs as well for different us aid funded projects different other trainings as well so example my first very first program was the primary and the secondary survivors of the violence with whom i did and of course when people go through these kind of experiences they hold a lot of trauma within them there is a lot of anger there's still a lot of anger in them not everybody is there to take a revenge but productivity is questioned positivity is questioned negative thoughts are there so i started using art as a therapy for them to channelize their emotions for them to like you know to hold spaces for them so that's where art comes in so all the difficult emotion which is usually difficult to express in the words so how art was there to like you know for them to express so example i'll just give you a little example of let's say uh using patterns so converting all the emotions into the patterns and choosing colors for those emotions so if i have to ask all of you and all those listeners who will be listening to us or maybe listening right now let's say this is playing right now for the all the alumni of the leader lab so if i ask you to give color to your emotion any anger which you are holding against someone for quite long and i ask you to let that anger go so what color would you like to give and if i have to tell you that let's try to build peace over it so it's not necessary that yeah like you know what would be the pattern of the peace so maybe that piece also looks very messed up right now but i will invite you to draw that piece and then let's try to build action so if we have to build action then what is the pattern of that action or what is the color of that action so that's how like through the facilitation people try to first express their anger or whatever whatever emotion or trauma they hold using patterns and the colors then they try to build another action so this is just one example of the activity then we have several other trauma informed art based activities which we do similarly in the advocacy as well we involve communities for the larger advocacy using art so we created several uh, sculptures and art uh, methodologies where communities were involved larger communities were involved so there's so much which uh, like you know for which we have used art based methodologies to engage community and i have seen in my experience that uh, methodologies which involves like arts and cultural activities that breaks the uh, like you know centuries old uh, behavior which is inculcated in us and patriarchal practices as well so example in terms of um, women who have been especially in my society we have been always told to to just sit in the community events and the practices so just sit and let the men perform 
so when you bring art and when you invite them to participate i have seen these women creating wonders i have seen them crying i have seen them taking leadership so art also breaks the patriarchal practices it allows women to like like to express their own emotion to let go of uh, years old trauma allow them to mingle so now i also understand that why in our culture the the art was taken away from the cities why all of these events through political through religious movements were taken away because these events were somewhere empowering women and these events are automatically so healing if you see all the all the uh, cultural practices like singing dance because it's, it's the, the the power they hold is for is is to express and in expression in its nature is healing as soon as you are singing as soon as you are performing as soon as you listen to a song you're moving your fingers the you balance the consumption and creation so all what you consume in the entire day you you start creating in creation it's cooking as well it's is gardening as well so any activity in which you are creating in which you are creating so all these patriarchal practices what they did they started taking all of this away so youth and the female section of the society what they their tools of healing were taken away and these men of the society they had their own tools so they in our south asian culture started sitting on dhabas and having non stop cup of tea and watching like you know tvs so they they have their own on uh, like you know form of expression or gathering but the larger tools were taken away so now i see that when all of these tools are coming back when we do gatherings a very simple activity of people putting their handprints make them happy like anything why because as soon as the paint touches their hand it has that feeling it has that power that they created something like it's their own expression they their own decision to pick color of their own choice give make them feel empowered so so i think arts and uh, so many other forms of uh, expression holds this power to empower society at large and to challenge all many other so uh, like you know forms of uh, oppression wow wow soren that's a very interesting perspective i had uh, never thought of art being used like this and also what you mentioned about you know art moving away from cities and how it actually would empower women i know that you know india and pakistan have very similar culture and in india also a lot of uh, traditional art is still performed by uh, women and there are self help groups uh, now that um, are also turning into entrepreneurs but uh, that is uh, th- that was very interesting and i would someday if i am ever able to come to pakistan would love to attend uh, one of your workshops on uh, art therapy 
um now uh, moving on uh, nesma i in in the in this context i actually would like to know how does uh, your organization work with uh, women and youth especially uh, uh, refugees and people who are displaced in war uh using uh for peace building or you know any kind of uh mental health support um uh thank you again for the questions uply so basically my organization works like we we said feminist peace building and i can break it down that feminist peace building can also be translated to uh people centered peace work so when we talk about the current peace process or any peace process in the world people think of two parties that are in war they sit together they find a solution etc so our work and many organize partner organizations with us we come and put the priorities of people in in the table we push for parties to include more women we push for an inclusive process we always working on pushing the priorities of the people on the ground and the the people or uh, the people on the ground whom their voices are missing or whom their voices are not being heard most of the time um so mostly the the people who are their voices uh, who their voices is are missing and whom being neglected in such processes are women uh, young people and in their all, all, always in their intersectional perspective so we have as you mentioned women um, who are displaced women who are, have been have became widows women whom their children were recruited forcibly all of these people their voices are not being heard so for us we go to the community it's either through us directly or through partner organization we sit with them we do consultations and we we hear what do they need so when and then we push for the inclusion of their need in the current peace process a product we have we have produced that kind of compiles all of this vision we have created um a feminist peace roadmap which is a guiding methodology for the um the mediators to to include the issues of young people and women and and the displaced women and women also in rural areas so this is what we do and for us we're being we're being always sensitive to their needs always making sure that you know their needs are are being prioritized because unfortunately when it comes to a society that is going through war the last thing that they think of is what what are these women what these women needs or what are young people missing or what are the services we should focus on most of the focus goes to kind of make a reconciliation between the warring parties and neglecting people which is what we are you know advocating not to do because um we want a peace that is inclusive that that really addresses addresses the needs of of everyone and we might not you know put uh, provide services because this is not in our mandates however um, in our mandate however we we work into prioritizing the uh, the mental health and putting it as a component in the advocacy work that we are doing 
So we understand that the impact of war, as Sonal mentioned, like the, because we live in a troubled country is that some extremism exists and war and violence and uh, and people's mental health have have been damaged completely. Personally, personally, I lived in Yemen uh, fro- since the beginning of the war until until in 2020, and I have suffered from mental health issue, trauma, etc. And uh, and it became not normal. Unfortunately, what what is bothering me right now is that people are normalizing it and and thinking that is a form of resilience and saying, oh, we're Yemenis, we're strong. Uh, we're not. <laughs> We're actually a traumatized nation, and if we do not go beyond this trauma and beyond this violence, when it comes to the time where where we achieve peace and we do not prioritize mental health, these issues will manifest in a very uh, violent ways, and we will end up in an endless cycle of violence, and uh, and we will not go out. So prioritizing mental health and providing uh, mental health support to the people is very important unfortunately uh, most of the aid that comes to Yemen comes to humanitarian aid um, and it's emergency aid nothing goes not much I would not say nothing but not much goes to development not much goes to mental health services and this is a big issue donor countries should really seriously think of because by numbers we see that the um, the percentage of people who are suffering from mental health is increasing uh, mental health issues is increasing and the facilities c- cannot take everyone um so yeah unfortunately the situ- the overall situation of the country is not promising however we're doing our best to prioritize all of these needs and make them at the center of the peace agenda of Yemen yes ma i so i'm so glad that you brought this up about uh, mental health needs uh, of the people that we serve and i also want to talk about the mental health needs of us of activists of people working in the social and development sector uh, and who are every day uh, you know navigating stories of abuse violence um, discrimination etc and uh, sonal i will turn to you now and uh, i would like you uh, like imagine there is a um, you know young people who want to join um, so I'll, i'll rephrase that so sonal i, I would like uh, you to tell us uh, especially for young people who are listening uh, into this conversation who are uh, joining the social sector or who are working uh on um, you know who are activists and working on advocacy uh what are the things that they should keep in mind uh and t- while taking care of themselves mentally um as well as for their communities yeah that's that's a very good thing um, when we start we start with a lot of passion with a lot of compassion and uh, many times we forget that just think that you are you are equal human as other community member so many times we think that we should have a lot many solution and possible solution for everything so community 
will be suffering from 10,000 things and I should be provider for 10,000 things. That is not possible. And in my journey, for like in my nine year journey working with the community, I've realized that I will have to say no to few things. And I will not be there for everything which community needs. And it takes time to build this capacity to say no. And, uh, but I think that's a very important skill for any young person working for the community in the area of advocacy. Because if you, if you provide yourself as a listener or for any, any, any like, you know, civil society work, I think when we tend to see ourselves as a leader, we think that we are a solution, a provider for everything. And we are when we are not able to do this, this brings a lot of frustration and demotivation. So allow yourself that many times I will not have solution and it's okay. And also allow that many times community will have solution and I can co-create solution with them. And that's such a biggest learning uh, that I have to co-create solution and I should also be able to co-create leaders. I think as a leader, as a young leader, many times people are not ready to pass on the leadership. And that also brings a lot of emotional instability. And as soon as you're ready to pass on the leadership or as soon as you're ready to co-lead, that brings such a great mental peace to yourself. You will see that as a leader, you will grow. And... Uh, that's a wonderful skill to have. And when you are there in the area to build resilient communities, I always say that, like, you know, it, it means that you offer yourself the same resilience and same compassion which you pour into others for those who you hold these pieces. So do not forget that you can take pause that you can set emotional boundaries, that you can set professional boundaries. It's very important that you know that I have to set healthy boundaries. So, and many times we forget to like, you know, take a break, it's, it's important. In the beginning, there is so much energy, there's so much passion that taking a break or taking a stop feels almost like, you know, uh, ridiculous to us that how can I do this but when you don't do this then you crash ultimately you crash and that's not good that's very dangerous so allow yourself to take break be compassionate to yourself it's okay to unlearn it's okay unlearning is a great process in advocacy work you will fail allow yourself to fail I think one of the very toxic traits of our uh, upbringing in the, from the societies we come is that we are not taught that what do you do when you are when you fail. We are just taught to celebrate winnings. But when, what do you do when you really fail? So just teach yourself that how do I analyze why I failed? And it's okay to celebrate your failures as well because many times your advocacy work will not bring the result which you were hoping. So in cases like this, and maybe you, you talk a lot about it. Many people were really looking forward to it. So it's fine, bring that emotional stability, bring that mental stability that is okay if it didn't work. But then for the next time I have lessons. So it's, it's fine, talk about it. I was reading one book and it, it has this beautiful line that as soon as you start talking about it and accepting 
that it didn't work, it will start looking like, you know, it will make you feel normal and better. Instead of hiding with the cupboard, it will somewhere unconsciously will tell you that something is hidden. So talk about it instead of hiding that you will feel that I failed. Instead, if you talk about it, you will feel that I did something. I moved in a direction and it was slow. It's fine. So, yeah. So, but at the core of it, I would just say that I like, you know, the passion you're offering to the community, offer the same passion to yourself. That's, that's such a, uh, I actually, I'm, um, I don't have words right now because I'm personally associating with this a lot. Um, I'm also someone who started young and uh, created an organization uh, which talks about feminism and gender rights. And, you know, I was exactly this person when at 25. And today in my early 30s, I can really resonate with what you are saying. And that's what I keep telling uh, people around me, my team uh, and, you know, other young people that I meet who are really passionate and have a lot of energy. And I keep telling everyone that, you know, the world is not going to change in one day. And you are not the only person who will, you know, who will make that happen. Like, the, the social reform, social change takes decades or even centuries. And um, all of us do our tiny bit and that contributes to that big change. So I really, really uh, resonate with uh, what you said, uh, Sonal. And uh, now I would like to just take this part of how do we uh, create um, human-centered uh, and you know resilient um, resilience, not just for activists and individuals, but also for organizations. And Nesma here, I would like to know your thoughts. Uh, you earlier said that you know, the kind of feminist peace building and the difference between peace building versus feminist peace building is that your organization puts people at the center, puts people on the table. So I would like to know your thoughts. And again, this could be for young people who are starting up. Um, how do they create uh, organizations uh, which are uh, mental health friendly, sustainable and uh, people centered? I would also like first to to reflect back on the conversation happened also in the personal mental health. Um, first of all, I, I really feel you, uh, Sonal and Jacqueline. I have been there as well. So anyone who's listening to this podcast, working in the... Uh, all of uh, us have been there. <laughs> exactly. So I, it took, it takes time. It takes time. As Jacqueline mentioned, like for me, it took so much therapy and coaching etc to get to the point where I do not feel that I I am the savior of the world and to feel that I am a part of um, of a group or of a movement and I am doing my teeny tiny part where millions are also doing their teeny tiny parts and they are doing we are building a movement so please if you are someone who's working in the field of social change, don't feel discouraged, keep pushing and you will get there. And it's not an easy way. <laughs> like for me, it, 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 this means like I'm, I, I'm here in a, you know, I would say in a position where I am happy with my mental health after 
you know, years of being uh, of suffering of burnout and etc. And I still have my setbacks, but I now know how I deal with them. So this is a good skill. Um, going to the question of creating, you know, human-centered organizations. So basically, as a co-founder of Peace Track Initiative, um, it was from the very beginning we 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 said that this organization is also an organization that will serve us as much we serve it. So this means that no one is required to kill themselves for the sake of organization. We prioritize uh, people's needs. We prioritize uh, people's men- mental health, health. So and we also prioritize having conversations, open and clear conversations when every when anyone is not comfortable with the situation, because as much as we try to be human-centered or inclusive etc we are humans and we're still going to make mistakes so the thing i think i believe it's the most important to always have these open conversations because uh, you know as someone with a senior level people in the uh, junior level sometimes feel unheard feel that they are not well presented so always try to open these spaces for them to express their needs to give them space because sometimes we are guilty of not giving everyone the space they they want or, or the space they deserve because some of us, some of the team members sometimes would like an invitation to talk it's not like these other people who are very loud and they would just jump in and and uh, claim their space so always make sure that you have these things in mind I will go again to the uh, to the topic of mental health. Uh, human-centered organization prioritize the mental health of the of the employees. So um, having therapy that is available to the uh, to the uh, uh, to the employees is important. Uh, something that's helped us, like personally at at Peace Track, we like. We did group meditation together. Like uh, we recently were, were able to meet after two years of separation. And we had a, a team a, a strategic retreat in Jordan. So we took advantage of any calm moment and we did meditation together hand to hand. It might sound silly for some, but for us, it really helped us to connect uh, on a much higher level and to empathize with each other to know each other um the the fourth thing is to to have uh, to have to foster a culture the fourth thing is to force uh, foster a culture of uh, self-care we always make sure that we do not give people uh, work at friday afternoon <laughs> uh we um working in the weekend is frowned up on unless it is extra important like we frowned up on people who who work on the weekends because weekends should be for family um and we we always like uh, when it, we have we encourage people to have their vacations we celebrate them and so there are many many things to do this this comes from my my organization and our experience i know that there are there is much much more to do but uh, in a nutshell i would say that human centers means that you always have an open ear and open mind to 
open ear and open mind to all of these people in your uh, in your uh, team and make sure you know make sure that you learn and you, you would make mistake but you will evaluate the situation and you and you move forward as a as a team and as an organization thanks nesma i really like when you said that uh, human centered organizations are still run by humans and uh, humans make mistakes and i think it is uh, completely fine i also don't believe that activists should be put on any kind of pedestal uh, because you know the moment we do that whenever they make mistakes we are so disappointed in them that we just <coughs> cancel out everything that they have done apart from that one or you know many mistakes so i i really feel that we should um like so agree with what you said about humans make mistakes and uh we should have that space for people to learn and unlearn and also to come forward and be open about it because if we as uh you know as feminist organizations are not going to create that space uh for for empathy for kindness then you know what's the point even and um i had such a great conversation with both of you and i'm so sad to say that we are almost towards the end of our episode but i do have a uh, a, a bit of a fun and a fun question to end so since all of us have been part of the swedish institute and you know have so many memories um uh, you know with the program i would like to ask both of you is there a moment that really uh, stuck with you or was a aha moment for you or has impacted your life or your work in any way we would love to hear and i'm sure the new upcoming um spirish institute participants would also be really excited to know um your experiences so whoever wants to go first please do um because my main program was ycf pn connectors of the future program Uh, <laughs> I think there were so many aha uh, moments for us but uh, they took us for uh, for this dinner in the dark that that experience is still stayed that really t- touched me and this uh, restaurant was run by blind people the food was prepared by blind people and that that really really stayed with me uh, so like I still call it like you know the boundary the boundary free world that how with this little experience you cross and enter into the each other's boundary and experience each other's world and uh, like you know how we call that this we are privileged but how our privileges changes because that in their world they were empowered and we were sort of not empowered and how we were dependent on them so that exchange really stayed with me and that that was a very humbling experience and um, yeah and for anyone who's coming to sweden i think there is a lot a lot a lot to offer stockholm is like home stockholm is such a homely city and uh, it's like i'm so jealous of anyone who's going <laughs> So yeah do do visit all the museums walk do a lot of walk if you are in the stockholm uh, definitely do all the 
like you know go to all the train stations see all the artwork there at the different stations there's so much in stockholm but uh, yeah i would definitely recommend a lot of walking and uh, visiting all the art free artwork in the city yeah yeah so my experience with uh, you know leaders lab is a bit different because it was virtual but is what it was as rich as you know I, I'm, I'm sure that meeting in person would have been richer but it was such a rich experience meeting you know fellow uh, activists and human rights defenders from parts of the world that are similar to my to my country So my favorite moment was the session when we were learning about the neuroscience behind human interactions and relations. And for me, this was like a mind blowing because it gave me tools to understand how, why people react. Because many times I'd be like, but why do they do this? Why do they do that? I cannot understand it. But, you know, uh, graduating from the pro- from the program, I was very enlightened and for me this these this is a moment that i cherish uh, the most thank you so much once again sonal and esma for uh, joining us today and sharing your stories and journeys of advocacy and change and next week we will be back with our final episode on changing minds and changing systems stay tuned and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite streaming platform bye